This morning I'll be reading from the book of John, chapter 17, verse 3. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bibles, that's on page 958. In the Pew Bibles, that's on page 958. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Am I on here? Am I on? Okay, good morning. Uh, I am just so glad to be here this morning, and I just want to say, before I get started, well, I want to say a few things, but the first thing I want to say uh, is I lost my fiance this morning somewhere in here, uh, and, and I don't know where she went. So wherever you are, Sarah, hi. Uh, but uh, I was getting mic'd up and stuff, and uh, she disappeared on me. So I know she's in good hands wherever she is. I still haven't found her yet, but she's out there somewhere. Or, or she left because she didn't want to hear the lesson this morning, but uh, one of the two. Uh, I want to stop and say thank you really quick before before I get started, thank you for uh, allowing me to work with and all of the interns to work with your kids or your grandkids or maybe even your great grandkids. And uh, it's just been an honor and a blessing. And thank you guys for being such a great group to work with as well. Uh, I want to say one quick announcement before we get started, and then we're just going to have to hit the ground running. So uh, the announcement is. Tonight is our uh, Sunday uh, back to school Sunday night where the elders pray over the kids that are going to go back to school. Uh, and so we'd ask you to do one quick thing for us. It won't take, time, uh, take much time. Just write down on a piece of paper the school that you or uh, your kid or uh, your grandkid goes to. Just write the name of the school and right out there at Information Central there's a basket to put that in so we can make sure we pray for all of the schools uh, and all of the kids that are going back to school. Okay, so if you could do that, uh, that would help us out and make tonight uh, an even more special night. Before we start, let's pray and then we'll, we'll get started. Father, thank you so much for uh, the blessing of studying your word and being here in this place with so many people that love you, Father. We love you and we want to serve you. We want to know you, Father. We, we just want to follow after you with all of our heart, Lord. Thank you so much for Jesus and his sacrifice and what he means to us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You probably heard the illustration, uh, if not, uh, I, I'd be surprised, but you probably heard the illustration, and if you have, just laugh anyway, because it'll still be funny. Uh, but there's an illustration where uh, there's a guy who's about to die, and he's very materialistic, and he loves the stuff that he has on this earth, and so uh, he's talking with God, and he's trying to make a deal before he dies to be able to bring some of his stuff into heaven. Uh, and God says, no, you can't bring anything into heaven, and he says, okay, now he just brings one thing. He says, okay, I'll let you bring one suitcase into heaven and so the man packs his suitcase and he brings it and you know uh, he goes to the pearly gates and Peter comes out to him uh, and he says you went through all this trouble to bring something into heaven can I at least look in the suitcase and the man says sure you can look in the suitcase so he opens it up and it's uh, something very valuable to us it's these blocks of gold uh, and, and Peter looks at him kind of confused and says did you seriously bring pavement to heaven uh, you know haha uh, ha, thank you for the courtesy laugh there uh, I say that because it's funny and we've all heard that before, uh, but I think it illustrates something pretty important for us uh, in how we think about heaven. And what I want us to do this morning is to really consider how we think about heaven. You know, if I was to ask us, if I was to ask you, survey this room and say, why are you a Christian? I think that many of us would say, if we just had to narrow it down to one reason, I think many of us would say, I'm a Christian 
because I want to go to heaven. Uh, this morning, I'm not saying that you're, you're wrong if that's what you would say. And I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not even saying you're a bad Christian. Uh, because it may very well be that that's a good answer to the question. Just as long as what we mean by saying, I want to go to heaven, is what God wants us to mean by saying that. Because sometimes our view of heaven has gotten a little bit distorted and a little bit uh, off the track of what the point is. Uh, I fear that we have, we risk uh, misunderstanding the real true depths of the hope that we have as Christians uh, because of the way that we think about heaven sometimes. I think we can get started this morning uh, by asking this question that John Piper, who I don't agree with about everything, uh, but he's right in asking this question. He says this, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. Think about that. Really be honest with yourself and think about this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth, all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there or not there? You see, I'm afraid that sometimes we've removed God from our thinking about heaven. Uh, because I, just think about it, like be serious with me and think about if I was to ask you or if you were to ask me, I'm afraid if we ask the question, hey, what's heaven going to be like? My first response, maybe your first response, uh, it might be, oh, you know, there's going to be streets of gold and it's going to be this beautiful place and I'm going to be with all of my friends and I'm going to uh, be at rest and I'm not going to be sick anymore and all that stuff. Uh, and that's all good stuff and it's right and it's true and it's going to be beautiful in heaven. It's going to be uh, great in heaven. But I never even mentioned God when I described what heaven is going to be like. Something's not right about that. Something's gone wrong with my priorities of what is important about heaven uh, if what I think of first is streets of gold. If what I think of first is, oh, I, I get to do whatever I want to know whatever I want. Something's gone wrong if that's how I look at heaven. We can see this most clearly, I think, when we think about how we look at Revelation chapter 21. When it comes to Revelation 21, we've kind of labeled it the heaven chapter, I suppose, of Revelation. Revelation 21, the verse you know most likely is Revelation 21 verse 4. Revelation 21 verse 4, which is a wonderful verse and says, uh, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And so we, we cling to that verse because uh, it says, Hey, in heaven there's not going to be any death. There's not going to be any crying. There's not going to be any mourning. But can you please look with me at verse 3 because this is something that we sometimes miss. Uh, verse 4 is really just the symptoms of verse 3, like the side effect of verse 3. Revelation 21 verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, nor crying, nor mourning. Why? Because God is there. Because it's, heaven is about uh, being in a place where God is, being in God's presence. And God's presence brings so many blessings. We don't have pain, we don't have suffering, we don't have sickness, but we have God. 
And sometimes we miss the fact that in heaven we will have God in the most intimate a relationship imaginable. Relationship, that's going to be a word we talk about a lot this morning. You see the point in, about heaven in Revelation 21 is that God is there. God is there. I'm afraid that far too often we've removed God from our view of heaven. We've made heaven a place of all of our earthly pleasures come true and forgotten that the reason why we're going to heaven is because our earthly pleasures can never satisfy us. You know, sometimes you hear people talk about, yeah, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be hitting the links every day. You know, I'm going to be playing golf. I'm looking at Kevin Mann over here. You know, we like golf. Uh, I, I'm going to be playing me some golf in heaven. Uh, and that's good. You know, I'm glad that you, you think about it that way. Uh, but the reason why we're going to heaven is because it doesn't matter how many games of golf you play. It doesn't even matter how many friends you have. If you don't have God, you're not satisfied. You can never be truly satisfied if you don't have God. And this brings us to the real good news about heaven, the real gospel of God. John 17, verse 3, which we read, and I'm going to have to get a drink here. I'm kind of getting over a cough. But John chapter 17, verse 3, to me, is one of the most powerful verses in all of the Bible. I feel like we ought to all have it memorized because it's so powerful. Uh, And I'm going to read it in just one second. John 17, verse 3. Jesus here is going to literally tell us what heaven is all about, like what the main point is. He doesn't even give it to us in a hard parable that's kind of difficult for us to understand. He doesn't give it to us in, uh, like John has to, we have to go back and interpret the visions of Revelation, and that can be a little bit difficult. Sometimes it can be done, it's just a little difficult. He doesn't do it, he just tells it to us in one sentence. In a prayer to God, he tells us the answer. He says this, speaking to the Father in prayer, this is is eternal life. This is heaven. What I'm about to say, this is eternal life. That they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Did you catch that? Jesus said, this is what heaven is about. This is the good news about heaven. What is it? That they might know you, the one true God and the one whom you've sent, Jesus Christ. This means that if our idea of heaven is not first and foremost, if our idea of heaven is not first and foremost going to a place where we get to know God in a great, wonderful relationship unlike anything we could imagine, if that's not our first, number one priority of heaven, we're missing the mark when we think about where we're going, our destination. Here's maybe our problem though. And this is where it gets a little bit closer to the heart. If that's not attractive to us, it's because, and I'm not saying this about you, I'm saying this about us. Like I'm pointing, I'm breaking my own toes here. Here's the problem. If that doesn't excite us and that doesn't get us super excited to go to heaven, that we get to have a relationship with God forever, if that doesn't just stir us up, that means we don't value a relationship with God enough. That means that deep down, if that's kind of a letdown, oh, I have to, the number one thing is about having a relationship with God. I would much rather go to this uh, wonderful uh, Disney World version of heaven instead of having a relationship with God. Uh, Then we don't value a relationship with God enough. Uh, Maybe I can illustrate this in the way that sometimes we talk. I've heard, you know, I hear people say sometimes, yeah, the first thing I do when I'm going to get to heaven is I'm going to walk up to God and I'm going to ask him, you know, hey, was Jonah in a fish or a whale? 
And I'm thinking, and on the, on the surface that's funny, but deep down I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Like, you're going to go stand in front of the God of the universe, the holy almighty God of the universe. The last thing on your mind is going to be what Jonah was doing a thousand years ago. Like, the, the only thing you're going to be thinking about is being caught up in the glory of God, standing there rejoicing that he has made you worthy in Christ to share in that moment for eternity. Like, the last thing that's going to be on your mind is, hey, what did Noah use to hammer in the nails on the ark? Like, that's not even going to cross your mind, at least not for the first million and million and millions of years, right? You're just going to sit there and be in awe of who you're with. Our view of heaven and our value of a relationship with God needs to increase because anything less, if we value heaven as anything less than an eternal relationship with God, our heaven is too cheap. That's not the heaven that Jesus came to this earth to die to provide for us. He came that we might know him and know the one whom he has sent. And this idea is carried through clearly and expressed beautifully by Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 and following if you want to turn there. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm sorry to yell, I just get passionate about this, so I apologize. I'm not angry. Ephesians chapter 5. This is is good news. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, okay, so we're about to talk about uh, the marriage chapter, I suppose, you know, we all associate this with uh, instructions for husbands, which it, it does apply, but he's talking about something a lot more beautiful than that in Ephesians five twenty-five, and, and following. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. We are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, key into this verse here. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to what? To Christ and the church. Okay, and so we've taken that and we've applied it, right? We've said, oh, okay, so just like Christ loves the church, husbands should love their wives. Just as Christ uh, tries to help the church, husbands should help their wives. Uh, and that applies both ways. Obviously, the church also responds in love uh, to uh, Christ. So wives should respond in love to their husbands. Okay, so that's true. But what Paul is getting at here is something even more beautiful when we look at the whole picture and not just take it and try to apply it down to our lives. If we look at the whole painting that Paul is painting here, uh, look at what he's trying to say, especially in verse 27. Uh, If you look at verse 27, he's going to tell you something really important. So let me get there. What Paul is saying is much, much bigger. He's saying Christ so loved the church that he gave himself up for her. Why? Verse 27, so that in order that he might present her where? To himself. Like Christ died for the church so that by his blood she could be made clean. Why? So that he could bring her to himself to have a relationship for eternity with her, the church. Uh, Here's the point. 
relationship. Why does Paul use this imagery? Because the deepest, most intimate relationship that mankind can know, if it's a healthy one, it's a healthy marriage. Uh, There's no uh, deeper love that you can feel than to be in a marriage with somebody. Uh, There's some people that go to Cedar Hill where I preached during the school year. Uh, They had been, she just passed away, but they had been married for over 74 years. There's no relationship on earth that that man would trade for the one that he has with his wife. That's the imagery Paul is using, not to say, hey, take out the trash, but to say in the same way as you love your wife, Christ loved the church. And and why? Why is their love there because there's a relationship there. And that's why in Revelation 19, uh, John is allowed to see uh, into heaven and to see this marriage feast that is going on in John chapter, uh, Revelation chapter 19, sorry. Uh, And he writes in verse six, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. He's trying to get you to see this is really powerful. Crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb has come. The marriage of Christ has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. What he's saying is, In heaven, we begin, we see face to face with our Lord and begin collectively as the church an eternal relationship with him. And the thing about relationships is if you're having a healthy relationship, they never get old. Like uh, you could, I could ask Willie Carter, who's had been married for 74 years, and he would tell me that he's still learning things. He was still learning things about his wife. He was still growing closer to her. He hadn't arrived at fully knowing her. And we who get to spend an eternity in a relationship with God, do we think that it's ever going to get boring? Do, do we really think that it's ever going to, uh, we, we're ever going to tire of getting to know someone that is so infinitely superior to us and so wonderfully loving towards us? It's never going to get boring. It's going to be the most amazing thing that we've ever experienced in our life. Here's the point. If we're not careful, uh, we're tempted to make God just the means to heaven. Like we make heaven the end. Like God is just our ticket to Disney World in the sky if we're not careful. Uh, and I'm afraid that some of us really struggle with that. We, we think about heaven as this place where I'm going to be going playing golf all the time, flying around. Uh, I'll get to know everything. I don't know where we got that idea that, hey, in heaven, I'm going to know everything that is ever possible to be known. It's like we want to make ourselves gods in heaven. We want to be able to go wherever, do whatever. Instead, what we're really going to be doing is being content to be with the one who made us. And I don't know how that's going to look. I don't know what we're going to do. But we're going to be content. Because we're with the giver of everything good. And heaven itself is a gift. But the thing about gifts is you don't love the gift. You love the giver. The thing about every, every good gift, you, don't lo- you like the gift, but you love the giver. And that's what heaven is for us. We, we like the gift, but we love God who gave it to us. God is not the means to go to heaven. John Piper, that book that I uh, quoted from, that question, he titled that book, God is the Gospel. Uh, and that's so true. God is the good news. The good news is that we get to be with God. It's nothing less than that. 
It's more than just, oh, I get to not go to this bad place and get to go to this paradise place. It's, no, I get to escape real hell, which is separation from God, separation from that relationship uh, with God. I get to escape being separated from God in order to know him and be known by him for eternity. And that's the beauty of the gospel. So if we take all of the biblical evidence together, which we barely just barely scratched the surface of, it's abundantly clear that the point of heaven is that we get to have a relationship with God forever. But let me keep going here. This is not, uh, this not only has really strong implications for how we think about where we're going, heaven, but it also has implications for how we think about what we're doing today and how we're living today. This is not just a lesson about changing your mindset about heaven. It is that, uh, but it's also a lesson about changing your mindset about what's truly important today because... If heaven is all about, if where we're going is all about having a relationship with God, wouldn't it make sense that today, where you are now, is all about growing that relationship with God too? Well, you'll see when we study the Bible, that is the case. The first time I ever thought about having a real relationship with God more than just following the right rules and not doing the wrong things. And that's important, but it gets us to have a closer relationship with God. That's why it's important. Uh, before, uh, before I'd ever had any idea of knowing God, I, I ran across Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, and the text really changed my life. It changed how I thought about God. It changed how I, how I valued this life. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. But let him who boasts boast in this. That he knows and understands me. Don't don't find satisfaction, he says, in riches, in wealth, in wisdom. If you're going to find satisfaction somewhere, find it in me. Find it in God. I could go on and talk about Hosea and Gomer, how the whole imagery there is that Hosea uh, has been faithful to Gomer, she's been unfaithful, and he's calling back to her, he buys her back, he wants her to come. He's saying, come back, have a relationship with me again, come and know me again, and that's what God was doing to Israel. They wouldn't accept it, but in Christ, that's what he's done for the church. I could go on and on, but I can't do this concept justice if I don't take you to Philippians chapter 3. the, the depth of the beauty of what Paul says in Philippians 3 uh, is just remarkable. Philippians chapter 3 verse 7. Here, Paul just gets finished describing how he's got everything in the eyes of the world before Christ. Like, he's got power, he's got might, wisdom, riches, uh, like uh, Jeremiah chapter 9. But he says this in verse 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Why? For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And it's for his sake that I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And he stops his sentence there and he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Why does he want to attain the resurrection from the dead? Verse 7, verse 8, because he wants to know Christ. He wants to walk with him. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. 
Not because I get to go to my mansion over the hilltop uh, where I have my lazy boy and my TV, but because I get to go be in the house of God. I get to go be in the presence of God forever. A missionary friend of mine, really close family friends, uh, Charlene Kent Markham, they did missionary work in Ecuador for 25 years, but she came to Freed, uh, they both did, uh, but he was teaching a class and I didn't have class, and so I was sitting there talking to her, uh, and she's probably mid-50s, and she was just sitting there talking to me, uh, and she looked at me and she said, and it got kind of serious, and she said, Nathan, there's so many people living this life as Christians, Christians, thinking about all the ways that they can make this life really joyful and wonderful and impactful, uh, and they're trying to do all of these good things, but they're neglecting the fact that they can have a relationship with God today, not just that they can make themselves a good middle-class family that doesn't do bad things and doesn't go bad places, but that they can have a real relationship with God today. But then she said this, and this is where it got really powerful. She said, Nathan, when I get to heaven, I want to know him. When I get to heaven, I want to be able to recognize him. Think about that. In in your own spiritual walk, if you were to go to heaven this moment and God would be before you, do you know him in such a way that you would recognize him? I'm not talking about his facial features. I'm talking about who he is. Could you recognize him? That's a powerful thought. We rob ourselves of so much joy when we fail to view this Christian walk as a relationship that we have with God together as the church, continuing to point each other on towards a relationship with God. Listen, there's never any talk of, hey, let's have a relationship with God. You just go off and do your own thing. It's all about together the church, the bride of Christ has a relationship with God. If we fail to see that, we rob ourselves a lot of joy. Okay, I've got to be wrapping up here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you something that I think is one of the most powerful little snippets of a sermon that I've ever heard. And it's about knowing God, knowing uh, Jesus. Uh, it's titled, That's My King by S.M. Lockridge, Dr. S.M. Lockridge. Uh, there's a YouTube video, I think, of a lot of it uh, that's pretty good too. Uh, but I'll just do, do as good a job as I can do. Do you want to know? Do you want to know? This isn't part of the sermon. Do you want to know him? Do you want to know God? Do you want to have a relationship with Him? This is where you do this, yes. You want to know Him. Listen to these words. That's my King. Jesus supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? My king is the key of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. Righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. And he's the Lord of lords. He's the king of kings. That's my king. That's my king. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His 
His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you the heaven of heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind and you can't get him off your hands. You can't outlive him, but you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. He always has been and he always will be. He had no predecessor and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him. There'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him and he's not going to resign. That's my king. Praise the Lord. That's my king. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. The glory is all his. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. And when you get through with all of the forevers, then amen. I want to know Christ. Praise God. He not only allows us to know him, but he wants us to have a relationship with him forever. I want to close with the words of Charles Gabriel. You probably know these words. He speaks really profound truth in this song. When all of my labors and toils are o'er, and I'm safe on the eternal shore, just to be near the dear Lord I adore will through the ages be glory for me. When by the gift of his infinite grace I am accorded in heaven a place, just to be there and to look on his face will through the ages be glory for me. Friends will be there I have loved long ago. Joy like a river around me will flow. Yet, just a smile from my Savior I know will through the ages be glory for me. That will be glory for me. Glory for me, glory for me. When by his grace I shall look on his face, that will be glory, be glory for me. Are you excited to look on his face? That will be glory for us. Friend, if you don't know Jesus today, if you don't know God today, if you don't have a relationship with him, we want to ask you and plead with you. Uh, Jesus is literally calling you to come to him. Come unto me, ye who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. If you don't know him, we just want to plead with you. Come and know him. Come and follow him. Uh, follow him in confessing him, in repenting of your sins and following after him and being baptized in water for the remission of your sins to come up new creation, to follow him and to love him and have a relationship with him that will go on forever and ever. And if you are in Christ, you have a relationship with him, but it's, it's getting kind of shaky. You know, you're not, you're not solid uh, and you need our prayers to, to help spur you along in that relationship. Or if you need prayers about anything else, won't you come as we stand and sing?